Um, Our text this morning is Psalm 3, but in connection with that text, I would like us to read first from Psalm 2. Psalm 3 has the heading Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So it's in the context of David fleeing Absalom's conspiracy. And as we look at Psalm 3 this morning in that light, I'd also want to make some connections to Psalm 2. So that's also why we're reading Psalm 2 this morning. So Psalm 2, beginning at verse 1, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Thus far, the reading of God's word from Psalm 2. Let's now sing together Psalm 125, stanzas 1 and 2.
The text for this morning is Psalm 3. We'll read that now. Psalm 3, a psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people. As far as the reading of God's word. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it can be hard not to be afraid in this world sometimes. Evil seems to flourish everywhere, everywhere you look around. Persecution against Christians is a reality in many places on earth. And constantly we face temptations and the doubts of our own sinful flesh. Yet in this troubled and broken world, we do well to remind ourselves of God's most frequent command in the Bible. And do you know what God's most frequent command in the Bible is? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not. You know, we are easily scared, even as God's children. It's good to remind ourselves of God's encouraging words to His people. And it's also good for us to dwell on Psalm 3 this morning. David sees many enemies rising against him. And they tell him there's no salvation for him in God. But David is able to find his confidence in the Lord. And he calls out to the Lord, calls out to the Lord for help and salvation. And he's also able to rest, to rest in the Lord, to rest in the, in the God of his salvation. That's why I've summarized the sermon this morning as follows. Despite the enemies that arise against him, the Lord's anointed king can trust in God's salvation. And we have three points. First of all, the enemies that arise. Second, the confidence that God brings or God gives. And third, the salvation that God brings. So Psalm 3 has the following heading, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now David had fled from his enemies before. Before he took the throne, Saul pursued him in the wilderness. He fled for many years. But all through that time, of course, God preserved his life. And once he took the throne, things were supposed to be different. David was finally king. And God had given him rest from his enemies on every side. 
And the Lord, not only that, but he, uh, he also made his special covenant with David. God promised David that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. Now, Psalm 2, which we also read, speaks of the fulfillment of that promise, the promise that God would set one of David's descendants on his throne forever. You can hear something of that in the following words of God, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then the promised king, the Messiah, responds, I will tell of the, of the decree of the Lord. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Now, God's promise to David and the prophecy in Psalm 2 make it almost sound like there would be nothing but good times coming, right? It, it sounds like nothing but glory is coming, nothing but peace and, and prosperity. But it was not the case. David's own son, Absalom, started a conspiracy against David. Now, Absalom was a man full of pride. He desired the throne of his father. Perhaps he thought God's promise of a son to sit on David's throne forever referred to himself. And so he worked to turn the hearts of God's people against David and for himself. And soon he had worked a full-fledged rebellion against David. And it really is amazing how things went, right? All of Israel had been on David's side for so long. And the women of Israel used to sing David's praises. But now, there were so many in Israel turned against him. And it all happened so quickly. When the rebellion was in full swing, David and his family suddenly, suddenly they had to flee away. Right? It happened so quickly. And when David heard of the rebellion, he said to his faithful followers, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for, for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. So this was a, a serious matter. Their lives were in danger. And in this conspiracy and rebellion, God's promise to David seemed to be completely turned on its head. Right? God had promised David one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. And that promise is pictured in Psalm 2. And there we read in Psalm 2 how the peoples were plotting in vain. Right? The kings of the earth in complete foolishness set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. Right? Psalm 2 says it was foolish for them to do that. And God, even when he looks at their conspiracy, he, he laughs at them. What are you doing? He says to the conspirators, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. In the time of David, this uh, Mount Zion referred to the Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Right? So first of all, Jerusalem's. And so in Absalom's conspiracy, this picture in Psalm 2, it seems to be, again, turned on its head completely. 
Absalom and his followers raged and plotted against the Lord and against his anointed. And they seem to be winning completely. Instead of God's anointed king sitting on God's holy hill in Jerusalem, Absalom, the non-anointed king, is reigning. And he seems to have taken complete control. His conspiracy seems to be winning. And then when we see that, we might wonder, is God still laughing in heaven? Or does he perhaps think, oh, they caught me by surprise. I didn't see this coming. You know, is he really holding these plotters in derision when they seem to be winning? Well, it doesn't look like this to be that uh, God is winning in this case. You know what? That's how it can look like sometimes in this world. Enemies arise against the church constantly, sometimes from within, sometimes from the outside. And you know what? They can arise in such a hurry. We see that in this world. Sometimes it seems like the whole world has gone after some conspiracy against the church. They've joined forces. And then you wonder, will the church even survive in this dark world? And it can look like God's promises are turned on their head, and then we might wonder, is is God in control of this world? Is He? You know what? Sometimes it, it can seem to our eyes like Satan is in full control. The frightening part is that there's something within us that still wants to rebel against God. Join the rebellion, right? Right? We still have a sinful nature. Our sinful flesh is trying to trip us up, make us stumble, trying to make us sin against God. So that's the case in this world. Now, this was a a difficult trial for David, to say the least, Right, perhaps of all the trouble he went through in life, this was the most difficult, maybe. See, in his youth, he fought against lions and bears. He went toe-to-toe against Goliath. He fought countless battles against the Philistines. But God had always been with him. But now, his enemies got a different sense. The once mighty David was fleeing like a dog away from Jerusalem. And David's life and his kingship seemed to be hanging by a thread. And so we read in Psalm 3 that his enemies pressed this taunt against him. They said, or David says, Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And we see something of this from 2 Samuel 16 during this time. Right? As David was fleeing Jerusalem, a man named Shimei from the house of Saul hurled curses down against David. And perhaps this was the worst thing of all. It appears it was hard not to take these words to heart. Literally, David says, They say to my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. It's, it's as if his own heart feels the pinch 
of these words. Maybe we can see why, after all, right? It, was it not David's own sin with Bathsheba and Uriah that, that brought, this rebellion, uh, brought this rebellion about? So he might be tempted to believe these words. There's no salvation for him in God. And they would threaten to drive him down into despair. And we might feel something of this difficult taunt in our own hearts too. See, this is what Satan wants us to believe more than anything. He wants us to believe in our hearts that there's no salvation for us in the God. And you know what? Sometimes we might be tempted to believe it. After all, look at what I've done in my life. Why would God ever save someone like me? And so we feel that taunt in our hearts and in our souls. Brings us to our next point. Now these were dark circumstances for David. When we can face dark circumstances in this world, where do we turn? Well, look at where David turns. Listen to to only verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. David turns to the Lord and he prays to him. And you also must turn to the Lord. You must seek his face. John Calvin put it well when he said, David teaches us here by his own example that although the whole world with one voice should attempt to drive us to despair, instead of listening to it, we ought rather to give ear to God alone and always cherish within us the hope of the salvation which he has promised. And as the ungodly use their endeavors to destroy our souls, we ought to defend them by our prayers. Beautiful words. And David had good reason for confidence in God. Yes, he had sinned some terrible sins. Adultery with Bathsheba. Committed murder against Uriah through the hands of his enemies. And these things could have driven him into despair in this dark time. But he also knew the forgiving grace of God. Right? The prophet Nathan did come to him to confront him with his sin. And David, in response, confessed, I have sinned against the Lord. But then Nathan immediately assured him, The Lord has put away your sin. So, this terrible taunt of his enemies, there's no salvation for him in God, was false. And we find our confidence in God by the same means. Simply confess your sins to God, beloved. Ask God to forgive you. And he assures you your sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. They're washed away in him. You've been forever reconciled to God in Christ. So look to Christ in faith, beloved. Keep dwelling on Him in your heart and in your mind. Look to Him 
And you know what? You never can do that enough. Right? Dwell on the saving work of Jesus Christ and what it means for believers, what it accomplished for believers. Right? Never look away until you're brought to that place in Romans 8 where you say, Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Fix your eyes, fix your mind on the Lord Jesus Christ. And even when you come to that place in Romans 8, never stop looking towards Him. There's salvation for us in God, for us in God in Christ. And yes, David was going through hardships. And yes, David was disciplining, or sorry, God was disciplining David for his sins. But Scripture tells us not to lose heart when we go through discipline. God disciplines those whom he loves. And so David goes forward in confidence. He calls upon God as his shield. This is what God promised to Abraham, too. He said, I'm your shield. You're a very great reward. Right? A shield something that protects you. And so we confess, God is our protector. And of course, when God is your protector, nothing can penetrate his defenses. He is our shield. David calls upon God as his glory. He trusted that God would maintain his kingly honor despite these taunts of his enemies, despite the shame that they tried to throw upon him. God was his honor, his glory. David calls upon God as the one who lifts his head high. Instead of going down to defeat as these enemies thought they would do to him, David knew victory was in the Lord's hands. He would be exalted eventually. And David waits for God to exalt him. And that's completely opposite of Absalom. Right? Absalom exalted himself. He did not trust in the Lord. He did not wait for the Lord. He would never wait for God. Absalom thought he had to trust in his own power and gain the victory by his own strength. Is a heart of unbelief and sin. We trust in the Lord. He will give us a victory. That's how it will be for God's people. And so David cries, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. David calls upon the name of the Lord. And that's where salvation is found. So no matter how much the ungodly might rage against the church, Use it as an opportunity for prayer. Call out to God. You see, David did not cry out in vain. He says, God answered me from his holy heaven, or holy hill, sorry. And we see that in the story of Absalom's conspiracy. One of the conspirators was named Ahithophel. He had been one of David's top advisors, and consulting him was supposedly like consulting the word of the Lord. And he had joined the rebellion. When David was fleeing Jerusalem, he was told that Ahithophel was among the conspirators. And so as David was fleeing, he cried to the Lord, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And David confesses here in Psalm 3 that God heard him from his holy hill. 
Now, God's holy hill can refer to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. It can also refer to Mount Zion above in, in heaven. And God was seated as king on his holy hill in heaven and on earth in Jerusalem. Right? The Ark of the Covenant, it constituted God's throne on earth. And David had told the priest to take the Ark back to Jerusalem. So even though Absalom took the human throne in Jerusalem, God was still king in Jerusalem. He sat upon the ark there, where the priest took the ark. So David could remind himself, even though this rebellion is going on, even though these wicked people are arising, God is still king. And that's what we must remember always. God is king of this world. And no matter how much the devil, the world, or our own flesh rage against God, the Lord cannot be removed from his throne. He will always be king. Believe that. And the Lord heard David's prayer and he answered him. God sent Hushai, the archite, to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel. God turned the advice of Ahithophel into foolishness in, in the ears of Absalom. And isn't that amazing? Doesn't that show you the power of God? Even in the darkest of attacks. That's his power. He can even turn someone's advice into foolishness. He frustrated the plans of the devil. He frustrated the plans of Absalom by his power. Nothing can overcome God. That's how powerful he is, working in the hearts and the mouths of even kings. God wasn't looking away when these wicked men arose. He was always actively engaged in the combat. And God is not looking away as evil arises in this world. He's always actively engaged in the combat. Nothing will overcome his power, and you must believe that. Call to him. Brings us to our next point. So God overcame this rebellion and conspiracy of Absalom. We can read about that in 2 Samuel. And he's been doing similar things throughout history he also overcame this conspiracy described in Psalm 2. We, we see that in the life of Christ, right? The peoples were plotting against the Lord, God's anointed. And Christ and or, sorry, kings and rulers took counsel together against the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. We see that in the Gospels, that the Jewish rulers... Together with men like Herod and Pilate, they conspired against the Lord Jesus to put him to death. And finally, they had him crucified on a cross. Now, I want us to see something really astonishing here. When we look at Absalom's rebellion and conspiracy, how did it end? Right? Think about it. How did it end? Well, it ended with Absalom hanging from a tree, pierced through by javelins. 
And when Absalom's conspiracy was all over, the devil probably thought to himself, if only I could have pierced through the Lord's anointed and hung him on a tree, then I would be king forever and my conspiracy and rebellion would be complete. Well, the devil got his chance, did he not? Remember that Satan himself entered Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus to the Jewish rulers. By this, he was ensuring that Jesus would be crucified. He was trying to pierce the Lord's anointed. He was trying to hang him from a tree and kill him, just as Absalom had been pierced on the tree. And when Jesus was crucified, the Jewish rulers laughed at him. They taunted him, mocked him, saying, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him, for he said, I am the Son of God. They're saying exactly what the people said to David. There's no salvation for Jesus and God. It's as if they were saying, ha ha, we got him. Our rebellion is complete. But little did they know, and little did the devil know, that by crucifying Jesus, they were making Christ king. Yes, they hung him on a tree. Yes, they pierced him through. And by that, they effectively finished their own rebellion. They brought about their own downfall. Yes, it's still ongoing in this world, but they are defeated enemies. Defeated. They defeated themselves. Colossians 2 verse 15 says, God disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them, in him, in Christ, or triumphing over them in it, the cross. God won the battle at the cross. And the death of Christ and his enthronement as king ensures the end to every rebellion and conspiracy against God and against his church. Christ's death and resurrection ensures our victory over the devil the sinful world and all our enemies. Colossians 3 describes the effect of Christ's saving work on us in this way. You have been raised with Christ and seated with him at God's right hand, for you have died, that is, died with Christ on the cross. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is the security, the comfort we need in this dark world. The devil has been forever thrown out of heaven. Christ is now forever on the throne as as David's son. He will reign forever. And we, by God's grace, have been seated with Christ on his throne. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. And God certainly hears our prayers from his holy hill in heaven because Christ is there. And in Christ Jesus, God will never take his eyes off of his church. He will make sure that he works all the evil in this world for our good. Remember, think of what he did in in Christ. 
the, the crucifixion of Christ, the most evil act ever to take place on this earth. And God used it to set His, his Son as King in heaven. He used it for our salvation. And seeing this, we can rest in God's good plan. Whatever happens, whatever happens in this world, you can be sure God will use it for our good. Trust in Him. You can be at rest. You can go to sleep at night in that knowledge. David confesses here, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. And this is the, secure, the security we have in Christ. You know, even if we don't always feel it, might still be afraid in this world, still the objective reality of what we have in Christ Jesus. Our lives are in His hand. David ends this psalm with a call to God. He says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Literally, he says, smash their teeth into pieces. Now, we might not always like this sort of language. This is imprecatory language, isn't it? But remember this, these words from David... This is, uh, first of all, a call for God to do what he promised in Genesis 3, a call to crush the head of the serpent. It's a call to make that roaring lion who rages against the church, that roaring lion, the devil, toothless. Psalm 58 says, Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Now, in a second place, it's also called to judge those who refuse to turn from slavery to, to Satan, who refuse to give up their rebellion against God, who hate God and his people and seek to destroy them. Right? And if people who seek to destroy God's kingdom refuse to repent, then the only way for the peace of God's people is God's judgment. And that's the only way. And that's the peace we long for. And we know God will fulfill this prayer in Psalm 3, ultimately in the return of Christ. We call out to our ascended King, Jesus, arise, O Lord. Save your church. Come down from the clouds of heaven, save your people. One day Christ will arise. He will stand up from his throne. He will return. He will save his people. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation. And then when that happens, then we will never be attacked by the devil again. Right? All that harassment, all that temptation, all those fiery darts he's throwing at God's people will be gone. And the rebellious world will never seek our downfall either. And not only that, but our own sinful nature it keeps tempting you to sin, keeps forcing doubts into your heart, be completely removed, destroyed, gone. And then you will live in perfect peace. You will live in perfect love, love for God, love for your neighbor. You will never sin again. 
you always serve the Lord. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a blessing, and that's why this psalm also ends with a beautiful statement. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Right? Those people, there's no salvation for him and God. They were wrong. They were dead wrong. God will preserve and increase his church in this world. Jesus says, the gates of hell will never be able to overcome it. And so God will always bless his people. Let me leave you with the words of Isaiah 25, verse 9. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen.